Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the QB Squared Podcast. Today is Friday, October 20th, 2023, and, and as always, I'm your co-host, Dylan Hale, joined by Chad Martini. And what better way to start than talking about, for the first time in the history of New York Jets football, they beat the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, their first time beating the Eagles, but they were also obviously undefeated going into this game, looking unstoppable, and the New York Jets defeat them at home 20-14, to 14, uh, making them... 3-3 three and three heading into the bye week. I'm going to be honest. I predicted before the season that there's a good chance. Yeah, I'm not trying to sound like LeBron, LeBron here, But there's a good chance that I think in almost an optimistic view with Aaron Rodgers, the Jets would be 3-3 three and three going into the bye week given their extremely difficult schedule playing Buffalo, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Dallas. But no, Rodgers went down four plays into the season. It's been the Zach Wilson show. It's been really the defense show. We'll get into that in a second. But here the Jets are without Aaron Rodgers, 3-3 three and three going into the bye week. The brute of their schedule is behind them. Got to be feeling good right now if you're a New York Jets fan. Chad, how are you feeling, my man? Yeah, feeling great. Um, this is a huge win, obviously. I think we talked about in the show last week that I don't even know if I'd be watching this game. Yep. But um, No faith. No faith, but the Jets' defense showed who they were. It wasn't the best game from the offensive side. Um, I mean, we talked about it once again last week. Zach Wilson... Is similar to Jared Goff, or the Jets want Zach Wilson to look like Jared Goff, even though he's not there. He's played a very calm, very relaxed, simple game. 19 for 33, 186. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Took a few sacks. I think his best play of the game was his two-point conversion to Randall Cobb. That's where he really looked like a complete quarterback. Sat in the pocket, backed up a little bit, and threw kind of like a sidearm Aaron Rodgers-esque throw to oh, Randall yeah. Cobb. Um. But yeah, it's that Jets defense. Jets defense will always make you feel great. I mean, unless you're the opposing team's quarterback or the opposing team's tackle trying to block Bryce Huff. But it was really nice to see that win. I saw Saul, was, I think he was on a podcast or being interviewed by someone this week. And he was like, I think we're just a few plays away from being 5-1, and one, which makes it hurt a little bit because obviously that Patriots game is a fluke and yeah. you, you can't have a loss like that to a team like the Patriots. Who we might touch on a little bit down the road, but... I mean, they just look as bad as bad could be. Yeah. Um, I think I saw that the Red Sox have more points, maybe. Maybe it was before the Raiders game they played. The Red Sox had more points in October than the Patriots did, and the Red Sox didn't make the playoffs. No. They played one game. So, I mean, that's a stat, if you ever heard of a stat. But, yeah, I mean, they could have been 5-1. and one. I mean, if they beat that Patriots game, if they don't get that uh, call on Sauce Gardner against the Chiefs, granted, they still would have to go down at least put up three points or even a touchdown to win the game. But they could have been 5-1. and one, But, I mean, yeah, 3-3 and three is really a great note. Like you said, four plays into the season, we lose our our god, for lack of better terms, Aaron Rodgers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – definitely the, there's light at the end of the tunnel for the Jets right now, especially with all the stuff we see with Aaron Rodgers potentially coming back. I mean, I think we should talk about that a little bit soon. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great feeling. Great job seeing the Jets – make the Eagles 12-1 and against them all time now. So Look, yeah, we'll talk about Rodgers and the offense in a bit, but let's give credit where it's due. The New York Jet defense won the team the game, and they have been outstanding to this point in the season. Uh, as Coach Rob Sala said getting up on the podium after the game, and it's true, this defense has faced a gauntlet of quarterbacks and embarrassed all of them. They've played Mahomes, they've played Josh Allen, they've played Jalen Hurts, and all those guys have their lowest rating of the season. Uh, Hurts through three picks. Those other guys turned the ball over a ton as well. I mean, really, this defense is just strangling the top talent in the league. And what makes it even more notable is, 
in this game against the Eagles, where they're absolutely locked down and forced three interceptions, they're without Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, two Pro Bowl-level corners in this league. So what happened? They ste- guys stepped up. Tony Adams, Whitehead, Michael Carter, all those guys, I think, really stepped up. And it was interesting. I, I believe truly that if the Eagles had stuck to their traditional game plans, that has been their recipe for success, which is running the ball more, they would have beat the Jets. But no, they decided to try and take advantage of what they thought to be a weakened secondary. I mean, look at that at the end of the game. It was third down. They could have run the ball, made the Jets burn another timeout. But no, they throw the ball trying to get a third down. Jalen Hurts throws it right at Tony Adams' chest, picks it off. Jets go and score. I mean, a lot of people are talking about how Brees Hall should have uh, used barrier or sat down and let more time bleed. But actually, as I watch it more and more, it actually probably was the right decision to score that touchdown. You know, there still would have been a minute left had the Jets just taken a field goal and burned the timeouts of Philly. Um, but anyway, so they get that they get that touchdown and then come up with a big stop on third down or on fourth down as Jalen Hurts looks for Devontae Smith deep down the field. So this defense, outstanding. I, I was proud of how the secondary stood up. But really, the story for me is that we thought going in that it would be like the Sauce Gardner show, DJ Reed. But no, this might be the best front seven in football right now. And may, obviously Cleveland's been playing well. There's some other great teams as well. But I think Quincy, Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosey have established themselves as arguably the best linebacker duo in football. Uh, and in that defensive line, they have the most pressures in football right now. Quinnen Williams getting his first interception. But mm. those edge rushers, Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, I mean, those are names that most guys probably didn't know outside of Jets Nation coming into this year. And you can't ignore them now because they are just putting tireless pressure on these quarterbacks. And it's really just helping the whole team out because I think the potential of the Jets as a team has not even close to being reached because the Jets are just still selling for field goal after field goal on offense. If they turn one to two of those into touchdowns, we could be looking at a game where the Jets beat the Eagles by two scores, right? Like Greg Zerland should not be having to kick five or six field goals every game. So I think hopefully going into this bye week, they – probably put the celebration behind them. Now they're turning the page, looking ahead to the rest of the season. And they focus, and Hackett focuses on that red zone offense because I think that is the next step that the Jets will need to take in order to really be consistent and make a run for this playoffs. But freeze frame right now, 3-3, three and three, I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, I think maybe Zach Wilson's it's, – it's probably an all-time quote from Zach Wilson was it happened last week after the Broncos win. He said along the lines of, I love Greg Zerline, but I'm tired of him winning special teams player of the week. Because, yeah, the Jets right. start putting uh, these red zone drives together and start uh, finishing in the red zone. I mean, they were one for four this last week, and the one, according to uh, Bryce Hall and, or Brees Hall and um, Makai Becton, was the Eagles players are saying, oh, we're going to let you score. Like, we're letting you in. Like, it's not a big deal. You scored a touchdown. It's, we let you walk in. So they could have been arguably 0 for 4. If they put these drives together in the red zone, I mean, yeah, like you said, this, I think if you put those drives together, you are 5 and 1. You are. Maybe six and now. I don't think you're being the Cowboys, but you just want to see this team start to finish in the end zone and or in the red zone, and then it, we'd have a whole different story right now. Because, like you said, yeah, this wouldn't be a close game if we finished drives. And honestly, I don't. I think the Eagles should have had seven points because that one touchdown that Jalen Hurts had was very questionable. Yeah. Where, in my opinion, there was no clear, concise evidence that they could have overturned it. They called him short on the field, and somehow they found a way to overturn it. And they didn't even show the broadcast. Um, the angle that they looked at, which was very questionable. But yeah, I mean, this Jets defense arguably held the Eagles to seven points without their two best corners, with corners that they called from the practice squad that week to play. I mean, shout out Craig James. He played an unreal game for having to go against A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith for four quarters without being a real Jets 
53-man roster player. I mean, yep. just just hats off to them. It was great performance. Great performance. And talking briefly about some of the offensive pieces, I think Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson have proved at this point in their career that they are two potential superstars in this league, which is just such amazing news for a franchise that has really deserved these offensive firepower players for, I mean, my whole lifetime, really. We don't get it that often. And then looking at Aaron Rodgers, I mean, that was the headline of the game, arguably, even though the Jets made that amazing win. That guy was out there throwing, standing up and throwing on pregame warm-ups five weeks post-op. I mean, that's unheard of from Achilles' recovery perspective. Like that, that You don't see that often at all. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, the question is, will he play this season? I think it will come down if the Jets make the playoffs and maybe he can play. Yeah. But if Zach Wilson remains serviceable and his defense stays as good as, it, as they are, I mean, their schedule gets a lot easier from here. They have games against the Raiders, the Falcons, the Commanders, the Texans, and the Patriots again, uh, the Chargers at home. Uh, Cleveland, you know, they're games that they can win. I think this, I predicted them before the season to go 10 and 7. And at this point, I think that's still doable, even with Zach Wilson. What do you think? You think you're optimistic about the rest of the season? Yeah, I'm optimistic, but I still think you you do need more from Zach Wilson. Yeah. Um, I love what he's been doing. He looks much more confident, but you, you do need more from him because at the end of the day, this is a 17 game uh, schedule, and the defense is going to get weared out. They're going to get tired. Yeah. They're not going to be able to sustain being that's. Being the side of the ball that is winning the games, because the offense is not winning them games right now. It's a defense. And while defense wins championships, you need the offense. You need Zach Wilson to win you some games in the regular season to take some of the load off the defensive shoulders. So, yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. I don't know how optimistic I am about Rodgers coming back this year, even right. if they do make the playoffs. I, I, I was talking about it with my friend the other day. I, just, I, I would love to see Rodgers come back. I think any Jets fan would, but... I mean, it's obviously a great sign that he's throwing. He's walking around right now. He's sitting on the sideline for three hours. But it's the reaction when Miles Garrett is coming around the edge, beats Makai Beckton, and you have to step up last second. It's like those reactions. It's if you do have to jump or extend your Achilles. Like, it's stuff like that, which at the age of 40 makes it seem like I don't know how feasible it is. And you look at Cam Akers and you say, well, he came back in five months. And you hear some Jets fans are saying like, oh, he's going to be back around the Dolphins game. He's going to be back around the Texans game. I just think that's crazy to say because that would be only four months. Cam Akers is 15 years younger than Aaron Rodgers was when he got his surgery. So, I mean, he has the benefit of the doubt of being younger, having a healthier, fresh body. I don't, I don't know about the Aaron Rodgers story. I think it might be a little too good to be true. I think he's giving us a lot of false hope right now. But, I mean, as any Jets fan would, it'd be the the biggest miracle to ever happen in my 20 years of life if he were to come back and lead us to a Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, that could be getting ahead of ourselves, but that's something to monitor as the season goes on. I think it's perfect timing for a bye week right now. Um, Jets will rest up, but you're right. I mean, these wins are fun. These wins are good, but the question now becomes, looking at the second half of the season, are these wins sustainable? And I think that you're right with the fact that a dominant defense might not be sustainable to to rely on week after week, especially as injuries come around and everything like that. So hopefully the offense takes a step up and allows the defense to take a step back a little bit. Yeah. Um, now we'll get into some storylines around the league. We'll uh, alternate talking about some things that have been uh, catching our eye, things that should be noted. I'll start with, I mean, the biggest headline in the NFL this season has been uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, but I think that could be distracting Kansas City and their fans a bit from what's going on on the team. Don't get me wrong, the Chiefs are 5-1, they're in first place, it looks all great again, but they're not the 5-1 we're used to seeing from Kansas City. I mean, they played Denver, who 
the Jets beat, right? Denver's not a good football team. They should be getting blown out um, by the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City beat them 19-8 in a weird Thursday night football game last week. Just not really that impressive. So now I'm wondering, like, is this something to worry about with the Chiefs? Because a 5-1 record and having Taylor Swift at the game, it uh, it disguises a lot of issues, right? Winning winning is the ultimate uh, – what, what's the phrase? I forget. Winning disguises a lot of issues that go on. I'll yeah. get that for you next week. But um, I think there could be some issues with Kansas City right now. Patrick Mahomes has thrown five interceptions at this point in the season. Usually that's, like, the total he ends up with in a whole season, maybe like eight or nine interceptions. But five at this point is not good after six games. Um and really, they've not had a great schedule so far. They played some pretty weak teams. I mean, the Jets they almost lost to. Uh, their only team they really blew out was the Chicago Bears. Uh, but other than that, like they are lacking that traditional blowout power we're used to seeing. Usually we see them in these early games in the season um, playing weaker opponents and looking like an SEC powerhouse, blowing teams out by 30 or 40 points. But that's just not happening right now. So the question is, you know, are they a victim of their own success, right? I mean, if you win all these Super Bowls and you have a dynasty and you have Coach Reed, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, the standards are sky high. But with that being said, I mean, this is not looking like the dominant Chiefs we're used to. And so one thing I've been noticing in the league right now is, is Kansas City sort of coming back to earth? Because I think they're lacking the traditional speed and talent. You know, they actually just got McCole Hardman back from the Jets. I mean, of course, he's going to turn back into a star after he leaves the Jets who didn't even use him. Um... But they, I mean, they're relying on names like Pacheco and Sky Moore. Not is not the Tyreek Hill we're used to seeing, you know. So they're gonna have to get creative and figure it out because these AFC teams are looking really, really strong right now. Miami and Buffalo, and I think there are a lot of telling games and revealing games coming up on Kansas City's schedule. I just mentioned they had an easy segment of their season leading up to this, and now they play the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Bills, and the Bengals the rest of the way. I think all of those games will tell us if something wrong is really happening here will be a good diagnosis for that because there is a good chance that Kansas City has some issues right now with their offense and their team that we're not used to seeing that might be disguised by all these Swifties coming in and distracting them from what's actually going on. Would, do you, would you think you're a little concerned with Kansas City right now, or is that an overreaction? Uh, I don't know. I think there's two sides to the story. I mean, the first piece is it, it's clear that the Chiefs' offense is struggling. I mean, you said they put up 19 points against the Broncos. The Broncos are statistically the worst defense in the NFL. Yep. I mean, they're allowing 440 yards per game, which is ridiculous. It's over 50 more than the team in 31st, which is the Chargers. I mean, you look at teams that the Broncos played, they let up 70 points against the Dolphins. They let up 35 points against the Commanders. They let up 31 points against the Jets. They have 28 points even versus the Bears, but the Chiefs only scored 19 points. So, I mean, that definitely is a red flag. It definitely yep. raises some eyebrows. That's a big question. But the other side of the story is I feel like we say this every year about the Chiefs, at least for the past two or three years. I True. mean, it's always – especially last year once they got rid of Tyreek Hill, it's like, oh, my gosh, the Chiefs are struggling. Like, they have no receivers. What are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to go win the Super Bowl and beat the Eagles. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still 5-1. and one. They're still winning football games. While they might not be in the prettiest fashion, like – I have hope. I have faith in Andy Reid and uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, that they're going to win football games and they'll be just fine at the end of the day. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not sitting here and saying that they're going to win the Super Bowl this year, but I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. I, I'm so used to seeing this with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I, I don't think it's the end of the world. No, that's it's, fair. It does seem like an annual tradition where you panic once a year with them, but yeah. I think this is that near panic time, which is crazy. You know, the standard they've set, they're five yeah. and one, and we're saying this, but. I just wonder if these issues will be magnified when they start playing 
high-caliber playoff teams down the stretch. So keep an eye on Kansas City. I'm sure we'll come back to this segment in a few weeks, but I mean that's something that's really jumped off the page earlier in the year for me. So, Chad, what do you got for me? Here we go. I got the 49ers-Browns game. Um, the 49ers have them at number one, uh, I think, all along throughout the season. I think I might have the Cowboys at number one earlier, but 49ers are number one team for me. And they go and they place they face the Browns and they face PJ Walker mm. and they end up losing a barn burner nineteen to seventeen. Um, I think there are a lot of storylines from this game. First, I think the Browns defense is the best defense in the NFL right now. I love my Jets defense, but I mean the Browns are just locked down. Uh, yep. they're allowing only two hundred yards per game, which is crazy to say, and it's sixty less than the next closest team. And you might look at that and say, oh, they're playing bad teams probably. They have. They haven't just been playing bad teams. I mean, they had to win over the Steelers. Um, but they played the 49ers, Ravens, and Bengals, who are all three ex- really explosive offenses. If you look preseason, I think you'd say those are three of the top ten best offenses in the NFL. And they're averaging 200 yards a game. Um, another thing is Watson's close to his return. He had his first practice this week since September 22nd. Um, if you can get the Deshaun Watson that... I think it's hard to say that you're going to get the Texans level Deshaun Watson. I mean, he was playing just so free. He was a little younger. It's not like he's old right now, but he was younger. Um, if you get close to that level, I think this team is a clear front runner for the AFC North. I think the AFC North is kind of messy right now. Um, I mean, the Bengals are all over the place. The Ravens have no receivers. The Steelers are, um, I mean, they're always going to have their good defense, but I think Kenny Pickett has his expectations for this year after what he did in the preseason. So I think that the AFC North is open to any team right now. And I think if Washington comes back and plays at a good level, I think it's theirs to win. And I also think this is a team that can make a run in the playoffs. Like we said with the Jets, um, if the Jets do make the playoffs, it's going to be because of their defense. I think the Browns can make the playoffs, not only because of their defense, because of Watson playing at a somewhat good level. But if they do make the playoffs, I mean, it would be really nice having a team that's uh, allowing only 200 yards per game uh, going out there and making stops in the playoffs. I mean, that could take you far. That could take you places in the playoffs. So, I think they could definitely make a run. I don't think they're a contender, but I mean, this team is scary, and it's scary to see what they could do with Nick Chubb next year. I wish they could see him with him this year. I mean, Nick Chubb is just such a dominant power horse running back. I mean, he'll just run a guy over. His leg injury is so sad. It's a terrible thing to see, but unfortunately, we'll have to wait till next year. But I think, I think the Browns legitimately have like a two to three year window of really making some noise. I mean, they have Deshaun Watson on this really big contract. They got Amari Cooper right now. They got Nick Chubb. They got a good, pretty young defense. I mean, this is a team that could make noise for the next two or three years, and I think we'll be talking about them a lot more as the season goes on. On the other side of the ball, you look at the 49ers. A little bit of a questionable game from them. Brock Purdy, 12 for 27, 125 yards, a touchdown and a pick. I mean, by far his worst game in the NFL right now. I mean, he hasn't lost a regular season game, and then he puts out a game like this. It, I wouldn't say it was the end of the world. I mean, there's obviously everyone has a bad game every now and then, but that it clearly wasn't a pretty game. Um, there's also lots of injuries. Debo, CMC, just to name a few, were guys that weren't practicing this week because of injuries that either they've been sustaining throughout the season or sustained um, or happened during this game. CMC, I think, hurt his quad or something during the game and was out for the rest of the game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried with the 49ers. We'll get to my hierarchy in a little bit. You'll see that they're still very high on my list. But that was a very, very weird game when you're playing a team like P.J. Walker or a team with a quarterback like P.J. Walker who was called up, signed up for the game. I'm, 
If you look at the last drive too, PJ Walker, he wasn't playing good. He had two interceptions. I think he might have had three. And on the last drive, he threw the most questionable throw I've ever seen that was in double coverage and was a clear drop by the 49ers that could have sealed the game for them. So, I mean, that's just a game that the 49ers are obviously going to want to have back. Uh, I think a big storyline, I think the one thing I want to talk to you about is Jake Moody missed. I don't think there's such thing as a chip shot for any kicker. I think kicking is a very, um, people make it out to be much easier than it really is. I think kicking is really a hard thing. But the 49ers spent a third round draft pick on this kicker last year, Jake Moody. Third round draft pick is pretty high. I mean, there are guys that go in the third round, fourth round that are impactful players that are big name players. Look in the NFL right now. Look yeah. at NFL rosters. They spent a third round draft pick on a kicker last year that misses. Like I, I just said, it's not a chip shot, but a field goal that you think would be easy for your everyday kicker. So I want to hear your thoughts on spending a draft pick, especially a third round draft pick on a kicker. You look at my goat, Justin Tucker. He was undrafted. Other great kickers throughout the league, just to name a few, Graham Gano, Will Lutz, Young Hoku, I mean, all undrafted. You think of kickers as being a position where there's no need to waste a draft pick on them. No one's really competitive in the market for a kicker. You can just pick up anyone on the block. And I mean, look at the Cowboys. They basically picked up a random guy, and now he's – I don't think he's missed a field goal this season. So I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a pretty funny thing, and I think Jake Moody got a lot of heat after missing his field goal this week. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think – there's a big bridge even between uh, picking the guy in the third round and undrafted, right? Like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of rounds and a lot of draft picks in between a third round pick and going undrafted. So I think getting any kicker in the third round is a reach, right? Because yeah. you can take that even on the third day of the draft, not, certainly not the second day. Um, so yeah, I think like third third round is definitely a reach. I think back to uh, Roberto Aguayo as well from uh, – Florida State, I believe he was a second-round pick a few years back for Tampa, um, and he got cut within his yeah. first two years. So, I mean, that's definitely – I'd almost want to see a study on that, right? Like, is it a pressure thing? Because obviously these guys are ultra-talented kickers in college, and then they come to the league – well, by the way, this is no shade on Jake Moody. Guys miss kicks. Yeah. But in Aguayo's case, like, that was certainly an eye-raising because he looked like arguably the best college football kicker ever for the dynasty of Florida State Seminoles um, about around a decade ago. Um and he was shot right out of the league. So you know the talent was there. Was it a pressure thing? Was it So that's something that's definitely interesting is if you're drafted high as a kicker, that's immense pressure on you because guys like us come out and debate, oh, we could have got this stud corner. We could have got this big-time running back. But no, we got a kicker, and the kicker yeah. better be up to par in order for him to be worth it, and he wasn't. So that's definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, speaking about the 49ers part of this game, quick, I think this is – I'm going to use this opportunity to double down on San Francisco. Last week, I literally had a segment saying uh, this is the best, arguably the best 49ers team ever and that they would roll the Cleveland Browns and they lost to the Cleveland Browns. So you might be thinking I'm the clown of the week after saying that, but I'm going to double down on this team. I think that is not a bad loss at all, frankly. And I know Brock Purdy didn't have the numbers to suggest he had a good game, but he drove that team down the field against a great defense. I mean, he didn't have Debo and CMC fully throughout the game. Trent Williams got hurt as well. He drove that team down the field and basically set up, like you mentioned, a chip shot to win the game and keep them undefeated. I thought that showed a lot of maturity, and then that's a field goal. You know, he, I'm sure Jake Moody makes eight, nine times out of ten. So against a defense like that in pretty crappy weather, arguably one of the best defense in the league, your star players are injured. I don't think I'm too worried about that at all. I'm going to double down on the 49ers. I think they're going to be just fine yeah. and are really, really 
still the team to beat in the NFL, especially after the Eagles lost as well this week. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I, I, 49ers are still up there. I'll, I'll get to it in a few. But, yeah, I mean, like that kicker thing, it's it's crazy because I, I think you made a great point. It's the pressure that's built up. I mean, if you draft a kicker that early, it's like you're expecting them to be an all-pro, Pro Bowl player. Right. It's and But the thing is, like, if you, if you don't draft him at – I think they draft him at 99 – it's not like he's gonna go at a hundred, right? It, like right. he might still be there, sixth, seventh round. But I, I'm pretty positive he still would be there. So that, that's just a very questionable kick. Yeah, in my opinion. that's interesting. It, I want to see if that happens in the next few years. Like yeah. if you're, because we know we see now more than ever how deep these drafts are. Like guys like Brees Hall aren't first round draft picks, you know? Yeah. And we see what he is. So yeah, I think that could be a trend we see. I mean, unless these kickers are like Jackson Kennedy's level oh, and yeah. worth taking that high. I mean, he's the only kicker in the country I'd take in the second day of the draft right mm-hmm. now. Shout out to Jackson. Shout out Jerk, man. Um, but yeah, that's a good – I like that that conversation you just raised. I want to talk quickly about uh, – this isn't in the NFL. This is in college ball. I mean, in the last few days, there's been a new uh, round of allegations coming out in Michigan. I say new because it seems like there's always a target on Harbaugh and Michigan football's head when it comes to the NCAA. Um they're getting accused of sign stealing. And when you think sign stealing, you think Houston Astros, you think Spygate. But no, all this is is one of their more junior analysts, sort of a scouting guy, has been going to future opponents' games and has been taking notes and potentially videotaping the signals. And when I say signals, it hits close to home for a guy like me and Chad uh, who do a lot of signals on the Cornell sideline. Basically, if you're unfamiliar with the operation, uh, in the NFL, they have the the um, the radio and the helmet for the quarterback, so the signaling isn't as much there. But in college football, that is not a technology that's available. So the offensive coordinator calls down to the – he calls the play from the press box, and the signalers on the sideline signal the play that's called into the quarterback, who then distributes the play on the field. So basically what Michigan is being accused of here is looking at future opponents' games um, by going in person, and that's the important – Thing to underline here going in person and stealing those signals and showing them to the team what's interesting here is two things one um harbaugh is claiming right now he's denying the allegations and saying he has no knowledge of sign stealing taking place and um we're going to find out about that in the coming days or weeks and this allegation could go on for a while um because they're they've ncaa has confiscated the computer of that junior analyst and they'll see if there are videos of the signs on the side um, what's interesting too, though, is that like uh, RG three, JJ Watt, I mean, extremely knowledgeable football guys, myself as well, are, are looking at this and saying, "What the hell is illegal here?" Yeah. Right? They're literally just like a- any fan going to a game. My my, my mom could be going to the next um, Princeton game and say, "Oh, look, they are doing this thing after a signal," um, because she's learned only to really watch the signaler in the past <laughs> few years. But um, no, in all, in all seriousness. Um, it's definitely eye-opening because you would think that it's nothing illegal, but I think there is rules in the NCAA legislator that's saying you can't attend and fully scout yeah, future opponents' games in person, yeah. which just seems like... I mean, my high school basketball team, we'd have our assistant coaches go to... Instead of going to our practices, they'd go watch opponents' games. Like You'd think at the Division One level of football that this seems a little bit strange that this is illegal, um, so I think well, one trend we, we could see is like these helmet these helmet uh, speakers I think might happen. I think the signaler, unfortunately, could be on its way out just because it seems a little ancient at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, then it comes down to, you know, 
what if only Michigan can afford that? And, you know, Division three school can't, right? It's just like, it, it's really complicated, but I'm glad that it's getting this attention, A, as a signaler that, like, we are so important to the, the team's outcomes, but more significantly, just like, Michigan has been the most dominant team in college football. They've won every game by more than 24 points. It looks like any the only way they're going to be brought down is by something like this, and I just wonder if they're going to really find something conclusive and if Harbaugh's going to get in trouble because – this just seems a little outrageous, and I thought it had to go spoken about, especially on a QB Squared podcast mm. where we talk about this all the time. So, do you think it's illegal? I mean, I know you might not know a ton about it, but I was just wondering from what I said, like, what do you what do you think of that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely weird how there is a rule about that. I, I don't think like we're fully. My understanding is there's no way that we could fully have a, a full understanding on what this rule actually means because right. to anyone, like you said, the RG three these guys that have played football, that their life revolves around football. I mean, this is just part of the game to us. But, I mean, I have this MI Post article up right now. Number two, Michigan's alleged uh, violated NCAA rules by scouting future opponents in person at games, which has been prohibited since 1994. So something had to have happened in 1994 where they said, look, this can't be done anymore. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's just like, yeah, my high school, I, was, I was doing it for middle school uh, playoff games for my travel team. Like, it's like, is it really this big of a deal? But, I mean, I, I guess it is a rule. And, I mean, I want I want to give a shout-out to Rutgers Nation. Chop. Greg Schiano, Chop, chop. But um, this interview that he had when they were playing Michigan, uh, he had a halftime interview. And it's kind of gone viral ever since this uh, rumor has spread about them stealing signs. He was asked about um, about the about the penalties and about uh, how they could clean up their, their first half to, into the second half. And he goes, there's some stuff going on out there, so we got to slow it down a little bit. There's some things going on that aren't right as well, so we'll talk about how to handle it. And if you, obviously we can't play the video, but if you were to watch the video and listen, it it, it does seem like like something is like a little off. Like, what is he? What could he be talking about? And unfortunately, he never followed up or never said what is the things that aren't right, quote unquote. But yeah, I mean, it's a little weird if. In my opinion, it's a little weird that the Rutgers head coach, Greg Schiano, would say that as a halftime interview and not really, like, fully address what that is, what isn't right. It's The whole story is a little weird. I, I'd really like some more news to, to come out about this. And especially because in-game, I mean, it's commonplace for, like, backup quarterbacks and analysts standing on the sideline to try and get a beat on what the signals are on the other sideline, right? In college yeah. football, like, that can mean a lot. So... To think that it would be that much of a gap by attending a future opponent's game and doing it versus in-game when guys like us and other quarterbacks and other you know offensive analysts are looking at the other sideline signals and saying, can we pick up any trends that they're doing? I mean, it just seems a bit outrageous that it's that much of a trouble. But as you mentioned, there could be something bigger going on we don't know about. So I'm, I'm definitely going to continue to follow this story, and I suggest you all do as well because this is really fascinating with the – with the whole college football landscape, not just Michigan football. And could this be starting a new trend? So that's definitely an interesting storyline. What better way to wrap up today's episode, though, than with bringing it back for the first time in a few weeks. We got the Martini hierarchy coming back at you. Chad giving his best five teams in the NFL. I'll probably think it's ridiculous. Uh, Chad, take it away. Number one, 49ers. Like I said, uh, they're still going to be high in my rankings. In fact, they're still going to be number one. Like we talked about it, there are some questionable uh, points of that game, but at the end of the day, it is still the 49ers. I still have faith in them. Uh, 
Number two, excited to say this, happy to say this, Detroit Lions. Nice. I mean, shit. You go back three years and say the Detroit Lions will be the second best team in the NFL coming up. I mean, I'd look at you like you're crazy. But, um, yeah, I think they've clearly proven it. It wasn't their prettiest win against the uh, Buccaneers, but the the Detroit Lions are rolling. Uh, and their offense has been great. Their offense was great last year. Their defense was really the question mark. But, I mean, they had a really good defense this year. I think it's a really underrated part of their team. So I got them at number two right now. Um, number three, I got the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins just – I feel like I have mentioned this every week on the show. The Dolphins' offense is just ridiculous. Another uh, super high explosive game for them, 42 points, without their um, running back, Achin, Achin, however you pronounce his name, yeah. who's been just – But Mostert's been incredible. Mostert's too. been yeah. great too, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, I remember – when all the uh, the free agency are trades in the is the free agent market um with the AFC East running backs coming in and the the Bills already had uh, James Cook so they thought they were in a good position Patriots go in and sign Zeke the uh, Jets come in and pick up Dalvin Cook and we're like all right well the Patriots and Jets clearly have the best running backs in the AFC East the Dolphins have nobody and then you look at the Dolphins' running game, and it's like, I mean, they could throw anyone back there, and they're putting up numbers, so I think we're all clearly Put your boy John Two back there. They could put, they could put Two back there after a meal of seafood stew, and he'd be putting up 200 yards, three <laughs> touchdowns. So, I mean, they could put anyone back there. Um, number four, um, I have the Eagles. Uh, I was going to put the Chiefs, but I have the Eagles. I think the Eagles are fine. I think they did call a really weird game. I think – their game plan clearly going into it was, look, you're without DJ Reed, you're without Sauce Gardner, we got to throw the shit out of the ball. And they did that, but they didn't do it well. And they kind of abandoned their run game, which behind their great O-line and their great running quarterback, Jalen Hurts, it's been so efficient and so effective for them. So I thought they did call a little bit of a weird game against the Jets. That's why I don't think that it's too big of a deal that they had this loss. I don't think it's the end of the road for them. I think they'll still be in a good position down the road. So I got them at four. And uh, at number five... It's not going to be the Cowboys. It's not going to be the Bills. It's going to be the Chiefs. Um, yeah, we talked about them earlier. I don't got to talk about them too much. Yeah. I, I think it's a little bit of overreaction to say that, like, what the hell is going on. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Mahomes. It's Kelsey. It's Reed. It's Jones. It's McCole Hardman again. Yeah. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they'll be fine. Like I said, I don't know if they're a Super Bowl team this year, but I think they're a team that has at least one win in the playoffs and makes some noise. So. That's my five. Yeah, I got the Niners, Lions, Dolphins, uh, Eagles, and the Chiefs. I think it's a pretty solid five. I week. think that is a good five. Uh, nice work. Um, the 49ers, I think, still deserve the one spot. I'm glad you put that there. I like that we can take this time to give a shout-out to the Lions. I mean, week after week, they're just looking better and better. Uh, I think they have Jameer Gibbs back in full full strength this week against the Ravens. Um and yeah, Philly, I think, still deserves to be up there as well as Kansas City. I would argue for Buffalo, but I mean, they almost lost to the Giants. Like, we even talked about Shout that out game. Tyra Taylor, but man. that was a questionable call at the end of the game. I think uh, Darren Waller definitely got held. I think they should have had another chance to yeah. get it. And we would be really panicking if Buffalo was 3-3 three and three right now watching this. Yeah, so I, don't think they deserve, I don't think they deserve a spot. One team I will mention that's been good. I mean, Jacksonville's 5-2 and two now. They're getting the hand of things, but they did look a little... They almost blew that game to New Orleans last night. That Foster Moreau drop was so sad oh. at the end of that game. Um, but they've been putting some wins together. But actually, hats off. I think you got it right with these five. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with this segment next week or maybe every few weeks. 
But as always, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back at you with more content very soon. Take care. Have a nice weekend. Thank you.